even talking to Vagrant, where they're just like, you sure? And we're like, yep, this is the first single. And they're like, you sure? And we're like, yeah, this is our favorite song on the record. Therefore, it should be the first single. Like, duh. Welcome back to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. My friend typically is Aaron. Uh, but this is another opportunity to sit down with one of our favorite artists. And uh, this one is me sitting down with Matt Pryor of the Get Up Kids. This episode is kind of, you know, like one of those, uh, I guess you could say, landmark episodes for me. Just the opportunity to interview a musician who uh, is responsible for some of my favorite songs. Not only of, you know, my my teenage years, my you know younger years or what have you, but even of the most recent years. The Get Up Kids, of course, released their album Problems just a couple years ago. And I believe I picked it for my album of the year, the year it came out. Absolutely love it. So we get to talk about that a little bit. Uh, obviously, the main purpose of this interview is Matt sharing five songs from the Get Up Kids catalog that he's got some stories behind that he wants to share. So uh, it was it was a fantastic time. Super honored and humbled to be able to uh, get to do it. So without that, let's not waste any more time me rambling on. I'll get the housekeeping out of the way. Head on over to Twitter and Instagram at Growing Punk Pod. That's where you'll find us. Mine and Aaron's personal Twitters and Instagrams also linked there if you want to hook up that way too. Uh, and uh, wherever you're listening to the show, rate it, review it, subscribe, that kind of stuff. If you're on Apple Podcasts, a rating and review would be super helpful. Even if you just went on there and said, uh, hey, what's up? Just something and gave it a bit of a, a rating, just something to help kind of get the show into other people's ears. That's one of the best ways to do it. And of course, tell your friends about the show. You got a friend who's a Get Up Kids fan? Why not share the episode with them? Anyways, without any further ado, let's get into it. This is my conversation with Matt Pryor of the Get Up Kids. Yeah, I've had a few people that jump on in the, I mean, obviously the first, one of the first things you see is this, is this wall, but, uh, you're, I guess the first one on the show that's actually on one of the posters. So that's pretty oh. sweet. <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah. I haven't had, uh, haven't yeah, had that, anyone. It's a weird show. I remember that show really well. It was at the, the Mansville Elks Lodge, I believe. And, okay. uh, it was saves the day's record release show, but we headlined it oh, for some funny. reason. Yeah. <laughs> that's it is funny because uh like what what do you know what record that would have been i guess maybe for them it was through being cool yeah so that's 99 i think so yeah that would make sense that's uh that's pretty awesome no i've had i've had a few people jump on and they ask about it right away and i'm like yeah it came with the washed up emo books and i was i was super happy because like this jimmy Eat world one did too and uh the way i read it i thought i was just supposed to get one poster with the books and then when it came it was double-sided and at first i was like oh that sucks because then i gotta decide you know, which side of the poster I want to display. Um, but thankfully it actually came with, there were two of them. So I, I didn't have nice. to decide, got to put them both up. So yeah, man. Um, didn't have to make that Sophie's choice. Right. <laughs> there you go. So uh, how are things? How are you doing? I'm all right. It was strangely like 73 degrees here in December in Kansas. And then 
a cold front came in and I was just like, oh, fuck, we're going to get one of those tornadoes like that just hit Kentucky. Mm, yeah. Just rain. Oh, so, well, there you go. We have. Well, where are you? I, I'm in Edmonton. OK. In, yeah. So it's it's cold as hell up here right now, uh, which I was thinking about it earlier today. I was like, I mean, it's winter, so it's usually pretty cold up here. But I feel like it's colder right now than it normally is this time of year, which kind of. It kind of sucks, but you know what? Listening to definitely warmer here than it should be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll say, but listening, listening to, you know, your records and stuff like that over the past few days, it kind of, you know, there's that a bit of, it kind of works that colder music for me. I don't know. I don't know if that was intentional on your part to like, when you just want to settle into, you know, listening to music and not go outside. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't intentional, but (laughs) glad we could help. Yeah, there you go. Just let me uh, settle into winter with a little get-up kids. Um, I don't know if you do it. Let's go back, I guess. So, yeah, what we'll do is we'll go through kind of the albums and the songs as you as you sent them. But uh, I thought we'd go kind of from the very beginning. One question we like to ask is, do you remember like that first band or first album that kind of got you into the whole punk and hardcore world? So in a weird sort of way, it was actually... Uh, so I, I was really into, I got into hair metal, like got, I got into GNR and then I got really deep. And I was like 13 and I got really deep into like glam, hmm. like glam metal. And then that eventually kind of leads you to like, if you read enough magazines, you get to like Metallica and then Metallica did that garage days uh, thing and they covered a misfit song. And I was just like, right. what, is, what is this? And so then I, you know, started listening to the misfits and then that kind of leads to like bad religion. And then that kind of leads to like, you know, punk and hardcore, uh, you know, of, of the day. And then once I got to Fugazi, it was just like, like my yeah. whole, my whole brain exploded. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's really Fugazi is, is the band for me that like really, uh, I mean, honestly, like shaped me as a person as much as, as a songwriter you know, their, right. their ethics. And the, I mean, they, I'm not, you know, anti-profit, <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, uh, you know, they, they're, they're like just being good to people, you know, taking care of, taking care of your people, um, and not ripping anybody off. So, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Cause I just had someone on and, um, I can't, I'm, I can't remember exactly who it was off, off the top of my head, but he, uh, he said, I suppose a lot of people, when you ask that question, they say, you know, minor threat. And I said, well, actually, no, most, a number of like the people that I tend to interview have actually said Fugazi being like that first, Mm -hmm. you know, band to kind of get them going. But it's also interesting because his introduction to, uh, actually, I think this was Greg Thomas, who I was talking to, he's a producer in, in, in a few bands and whatever. And he, um, I think he mentioned, he said Slayer covering minor threat, I think was his introduction to punk and then so it's funny that you had metallica covering the misfits yeah and then on to fugazi so it's uh covering that whole spectrum but um do you remember like the first show that you ended up going to or or like the the earliest one that sticks in your brain the first like punk show yeah uh it would have been one that i played oh amazing (laughs) i started playing shows when i was 15 yeah so and there weren't any all ages venues at the time so it was just like house parties and stuff like that but i was in bands with people who were older than me you know high school and college age and i was 15 playing at this like high school party Mm. you know that's a i was in a band called take a joke (laughs) there you go so 
what was what was the scene kind of like, or was that basically it at that time for you in your hometown? It was it was playing house parties, and that's that's uh, just how you got it done. You know, you had to make your own fun. There was a lot of uh, you know there were a couple of like short lived all ages clubs, and then it would be like renting out the VFW hall or having a house party or, you know, finding an abandoned building <laughs> to put a show on in, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so we just, we just did that. That's awesome. Um, so real quick, I want to, you, you have, I don't know if this is like a, you know, like a Mandela effect thing for me or not. So maybe you can clarify and you can confirm. Was there, did you guys at any point in time, I want to say it would have been the late nineties, maybe, maybe early two thousands. Did you ever tour with, uh, MXPX? Yeah. That was our first, uh, support tour that we ever did. Okay. So, so, okay. So then this must, I wasn't sure if I made this up in my mind or not, but my introduction to the get up kids was actually, uh, I don't remember the website. There's a website you could download MP3s or whatever at the time. And there was this like interview clip and I think it was you. Uh, talking about how like touring with MXPX and how MXPX were basically your roadies. Does this sound familiar to you at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was That's... this clip that stuck with me forever. Dude, I remember... I, there's definitely a time when like like Tom, the guitar player, would watch yeah. us all the time and he got to be a friend. And I, you know, it's definitely one of those things where like we didn't have roadies. So it was like if I broke a guitar string and he was on the side of the stage, he would hand me a guitar. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I was just going. So in that in that sense, like I guess so, but no, it, they were not roadies. It's so funny though because this clip, and I don't know where it came from. I don't know what like it was, it was an interview for or what and why this little like thirty to sixty second clip was on this website. But um, I can I can remember you saying something along the lines of. Like basically you were saying, oh yeah, they, they basically just carry like haul our gear for us sort of thing. Right. And I just remember hearing it. Cause at the time I had heard the name, the get up kids, but I hadn't really heard your guys's music yet. And so this was my introduction to the band and I was a fan yeah. of MXPX and I was just like, well, it gives was, you, it gives you a nice introduction to our smart assery. Yeah. Well, and it's no. funny because I kind of was like a little pissed off. I was like, man, that guy sounds like an asshole. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing about sarcasm is that sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes when you're trying to make, you know, take the piss out of somebody, like sometimes yeah. you come across as an as actual <laughs> dick. It was amazing. No, was but they they were they were nothing but lovely to us. And, and, and we, you know, I haven't talked to those guys in forever, but I, you know, I'm sure we would still be, be, yeah. you know, <laughs> be friends. Well. Right? There you go, man. You never know what gets said at interviews and where it's going to lead. But uh, yeah, the, <laughs> I'm. I would like to know what that interview was for and why. Like I said, why it ended up on that website. But um, so, well, anyways, let's get in. Never find it. Don't show me because I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was just audio, so um, I don't want to hear it then. <laughs> let's get into, I guess, the songs that you sent. Which okay, this is this is kind of fun because uh, your initial list that you sent. Um, it's like, oh, it's, it's pretty much like, there's some pretty deep dives out of your, your five songs that you picked at least that at the time I was like, oh, there was nothing on that list from something to write home about, which surprised me. And then earlier today, you sent me an updated list. I'm like, okay, now I got to like rework some of this because you did include a song off something to write home about. So we'll, we'll start actually, maybe I'll ask real quick. Is there, is there a reason nothing came off a four minute mile for you? Is it just like the time, the length of time it's been out and it's just, you know, that's, you've no, said it's just, forever? it's not, I mean, you know, I, cause I was, I was thinking about this today and I was like, 
a couple of songs that I had previously, I was just like, I like these songs, but maybe there's not a good story there. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I was trying to be more um, like picking things that I, I still, I mean, that's how you are as a songwriter is that you get like really hooked on something. And the thing about four minute mile and something right home about is that I played all those songs so many times that though they are meaningful to me, I would never sit down and just listen to them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they're, they're, their muscle memory you know at this point so uh except for the one that i put down uh is my apology Mm -hmm. and that's a song that we don't play very often uh and i don't know if it's i mean i don't know if it's considered a deep cut it's on the second half of the record but do you want to talk about that one yeah well i thought real quick so I I just wanted to I guess share some thoughts or get some thoughts even on that that album something to write home about came out September twenty first in ninety nine on Vagrant Records which we were just talking about nineteen ninety nine actually um, so this is the album I think that most people I think talk about uh, or refer to when talking about the Get Up Kids knowing its place in history and the whole emo and post hardcore scene uh, what are your thoughts on this record and kind of where you were when it came out. Maybe you shared a little bit of that just a moment ago, but um, yeah. Where, where were you personally or as a band when this, when this record came out, did you know, could you feel that something was kind of happening or bubbling? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a hard question to answer because we were just kind of doing our thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like we were just like, all I ever wanted to do, from when I was young was to be in a band and go on tour. And so then when we had this band and we were going on tour and we were able to sustain ourselves financially, we just kept doing it and we kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And, you know, with the help of, of vagrant, who is this tiny record label that we totally rolled the dice on, uh, we were able, and, you know, and us making the record that we did, we were able to like, grow the band exponentially but it was also because of like you know it didn't seem like an explosion to me it just seemed like okay there's 100 people here this time next time there'll be 200 people here next time there'll be 400 people here and it just kind of grew and grew and grew but we were we were doing the work you know what i mean like we were like Mm -hmm. on the road 250 days out of the year and kind of by the time we got around to like what we thought was like finishing the cycle of that record, but we were just done. We were just burnt out. That seems to be like when people outside of our scene started to take notice of it. And that's when we started getting offers like the Weezer tour, the green day tour and stuff like that. And to go to Australia and to go to Japan. And it just, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was the, uh, the culmination of, of like all the hard work that we had done in the five years since we had started the band. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. So the song that you, you mentioned was My Apology. You'll be accepting my apology For taking things too seriously Sometimes I'm old enough to keep routine Sometimes I'm child enough to scream For everything I broke into You're barely missing me Recollections 
love about this song is that the chorus i guess i don't know if it's the chorus or the the post chorus or um it's got a lot uh, of parts yeah but and and so like the song kind of builds and then it just cuts out and when it cuts out that bit there uh that you're starting to sing like when it kind of comes down to just the palm muted guitars and the and the uh like the the rim shot or whatever on the drums and just kind of really quiets down and always it always gets stuck in in my head every time i listen to it um but what what is it about this song that makes it kind of stand out for you in your collection of Get Up Kids songs? Well, this was always one that I, I really, really liked when even when when we first wrote it. When I, I remember writing it in my apartment in Kansas City, and I was listening to a lot of Archers of Loaf, and I'm sure you can't hear it in the song, but I I can always think of Archers of Loaf when I listen to this song, and I like it because it's kind of linear. Like it doesn't it does repeat itself. It does have choruses and stuff, but it's got a bunch of like weird single part parts you know like uh it's not just verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus out it's got all these kind of like other little things in it and the song itself is very um it's kind of meta so it's a song about me writing a song about somebody else and them figuring out that the song is about them and them being upset (laughs) i like it (laughs) and so the thing that I didn't realize, because, you know, I was 22, 21 when I wrote it, is that it, it's not really an apology. It's a command. You know, mm. it's like, you'll be accepting my apology. Like, thank you. Like, thank you very much. You can go now. You know, yeah. like it's very, it's yeah. not like I'm sorry. I never say I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's just sort of this uh, declaration of that, like, all right, I understand that you're upset. You will now accept my apology. <laughs> and, and it's just kind of a dick you know the the, the narrator's a bit of a, a bit of a prick 
Um, but I just, I don't know. There's a lot of alliteration in it, which I always like. And then this is the first song that we had, what we started to refer to as the Matt and James vocal chorus, where we would just mm-hmm. keep layering vocals and like, you know, in the background of the last chorus, when it goes into the halftime, there's always like, sometimes they night. Yeah. Like we're at like a church choir or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and it's when we relearned it for our live stream last year, uh, we're just like, we don't need to put the whole fucking kitchen sink in this. Thing. Like, <laughs> just, but that's what you do in the studio. Yeah, that live stream, by the way, was fantastic. Uh, the the like double bill with with um, dashboard confessional on the same day worked out. Oh really right, well. yeah, right, right. Great Valentine's Day. Um, I did. This is interesting. What you just said, you know, kind of what the song is about. Because on Genius dot com, I don't know who wrote this down, but it says. Uh, uh, Matt Pryor wrote this song about all the people who confronted him about his work, and this is his response. Does that sound like what you just described to me? Uh, I just wonder where people kind of get that from sometimes. <laughs> I, I'm a I'm a bit more specific in my mind as far as like what it. I mean, it is it is apologizing for for you know. I mean, in my mind, it's specifically about this song "Second Place" that's on our first EP, which is kind of a diss on our old drummer. And uh, I sort of was realizing like that was kind of a dick move to like write a song that was kind of a diss on a guy that got kicked out of the band. Right. And, but you know, you know, you write songs when you're fucking 18, 19 years old, you say dumb shit. (laughs) And uh, the, but even still at 21, I wasn't mature enough to actually apologize just to tell them that they would accept my apology. Yeah. Um, so I would say that that particular interpretation is a lot more broad than I was thinking, but you know, ultimately, you know, that's the thing about songwriting is that once you release it out into the wild, it becomes its own thing, and it, you know, people can interpret it however they want. It's got to be an 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 odd or interesting feeling, experience, whatever. To like, I mean, I was in bands in high school as a teenager and as a you know, like into my early twenties, but none of those songs are sitting out there for people to really listen to or look back on. So like, it's gotta be a little different, a little weird at times to be, you know, a grown adult looking back on songs that you wrote in your late teens, early twenties and how, how far maybe you've come as an adult or as a person, I guess, over those years. There's two sides to it. One is that like, I kind of think of them as like tattoos where it's just sort of like, if I got a stupid tattoo when I was 18, then that tattoo represents my 18 year old self. Right, and right. so if I write a song that has pretty cringe worthy lyrics, not cringe, like bad, but like cringe, like emo, like, uh, um, <laughs> you know, which, which happens on four minute mile uh, and the first EP where I'm just like, Oh God, I can't, but, and then it only really comes up when I have to like sing them again, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, like, and, yeah. But for the most part, that stuff, like that kid's still in me. And I understand that, like, where he's coming from. Uh, but, you know, it's 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 not who I am anymore now. But it's, it's like I can still put on that hat, you know, from time to time. Yeah. Can you look back on your on your albums, on your songs and kind of see that growth yourself, knowing oh, where oh, you yeah. are at specific times? Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. Do you ever go, I should rewrite, rewrite this song <laughs> to be like more, um, like a, an added chorus or bridge or something to a song. 
Well, no, because we very much understand that like one of the things that people like about things is their imperfection. Mm. And so like four minute mile, the vocals are all flat. I hate the vocals on four minute mile, but I know that if I went back and re-recorded them, people would hate me for it. Sure. So, instead of that, I just sing them correctly live now. <laughs> you know, like, and so we sang, we did it on the, we did it on the four minute mile live stream that we did. And we kept having this conversation about like, should it be record accurate the way we mm-hmm. perform it? And I was like, well, it's not going to be because I'm going to sing them in the right key. Right. You know? So, and no one complained, no one noticed, yeah. no one complained. <laughs> That's awesome. But if, um, it, if it went back and I, you know, George Lucas did and like fucking fucked with the original thing that people would get mad. They get yeah horrified. Uh, let's move on to, I guess on a wire, which was released May 14th, 2002 on vagrant records. And, I think a lot you touched on this. I, if I recall, on the Vagrant Records podcast, but um, I think a lot of has been made about this album and kind of the change of direction or whatever you want to call it from something to write home about. Obviously, you just come off of, um, you know, a, a pretty successful record in something to write home about, one that people look back on. Uh, did you have a similar response to people who were kind of like, "Oh, I don't know about this new direction," like when the record came out? Or what was your view of the record at that time? And has it changed over time? Uh, well, I've, I've said for a long time that like, I don't think that that record is a, is a winner from front to back, but I think the good songs on it are some of the best songs we ever wrote. Mm. Um, recording wise, none of us are crazy about it. Uh, you know, hindsight being 2020, if we had been more career minded, you know, uh, maybe we would have done things a little bit differently. Probably not. I mean, we were so up our own asses at that point. We had been successful for six years, just doing whatever we wanted and people loved yeah. it. So we're just like, well, Hey, this is what we're into now. Surely everyone else is into this stuff. Right. Surely you guys have been listening to Wilco and the Beatles, right? <laughs> yeah. Not midtown and saves the day you know like yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting because with this record for the longest time i i said this was my favorite get up kids record and i think though you nailed it by saying you know it's not you know not all grade a songs from front to back but the best songs on that record are for sure some of the best that you've written and i kind of like while maybe I wasn't so much into Wilco, I was into, like, I did enjoy, I still enjoy listening to the Beatles, but at that time, especially, that's actually kind of more when I myself would have been kind of discovering the music of the Beatles, right? So to kind of hear that influence playing out uh, in music that was a lot closer to my era, in my era sort of thing, uh, was kind of fun and neat. When you went in with this record, though, were you going in trying to write I guess, quote unquote, different songs from what you had done, or was it more just from a production standpoint? Uh, I mean, I guess it was more of a production standpoint. Um, There wasn't like a conscious decision. There wasn't like a band meeting, you know, and it was just like, all right, we have to do something. I mean, we did, we did talk about like, all right, let's challenge ourselves. And the two things we said were no more octave chords and no more halftime. And just like, cause, cause we had started doing it like, uh, without even thinking about it. Like it would be like, okay, it's time to do a cover. And it's like, okay, we'll make the chorus halftime and do a bunch <laughs> of octave chords in it. 
and it's a get up kid song do 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 you know and yeah. um we just wanted to be more than that you know and uh you know so it, it, we intentionally handicapped ourselves a little bit um so yeah but it wasn't it wasn't like you know uh, a declaration or anything like that right but, when when this record came out and you were kind of first either seeing people's impressions. I mean, this is a little early for, to be seeing impressions really online, but, uh, or when playing the songs live, could you, like, could you feel that there was a little bit of a different reaction to these songs from what you had just been, oh, been just, playing into? Oh, just stares. Just kind of yeah. like going from singing to staring. Yeah. You know, there wasn't any, like, no one was booing or anything. You know, there wasn't anybody giving us the finger, but yeah. it was just kind of like, huh. You know, like it was sort of like that. Yeah. Honestly, you know, I think if we had if we had been in a position where we could have figured out a way to like play the songs live before we recorded them, we they probably because like when we play them now, they're much more aggressive. They're still like rock and roll songs, but mm-hmm. they sound more like the replacements as opposed to, you know, I don't know what like something more tepid. Right. Like. I know I when I chatted with um, Dan from the Promise Ring a few months ago, and we were talking about their album that Wood Mother Scratcher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when we were talking about their album, like Wood Water, when it that's came a great out, record. That's a real oh, it's fantastic. And so, in a, in a similar sense with that record for me, like that was my favorite Promise Ring record for the longest time. But he said like when they released it, he kind of went, you know, some of that fell on on us in how we kind of approached presenting that record to people like opening shows with songs off of that record where he's literally playing like a steady Tom snare beat for like 30 to 60 seconds. And that's all that's going on and expecting, you know, the crowd to kind of come along with them when they're like songs that are different from what they know. And they're also songs that they don't know. Do you think like, was there anything um, like when you look back on that record cycle where you went, Oh, I wish we did this a little bit differently. You know, maybe people, and I guess you said maybe if you had the opportunity to play them live before recording them, people could have grasped on well, a little differently. I'll tell you one thing that was ridiculous is that when we went on that, on the, on a wire tour, we were dead set on playing the entire album every night, but we knew enough about our audience that we still had to play all the songs that we knew that people wanted to like, there's, X number of songs that if you went to go see the Get Up Kids play, you would be bummed if they if we didn't play right. them. And so we knew we still had to play all that shit. And so we were playing for like almost two and a two and a half hours every night. Like, it was like <laughs> and then we would play this like eight minute long like jam version of Walking on a Wire, and it was like you know psychedelic freakout, yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. like space jazz, and. You know, it was it was kind of ridiculous. It was sort of like, all right, let's, you know, now it's like stuff off a new record. It's like, all right, pick the four or five songs that we really want to, you know, <clears throat> hammer home, put them in between two hits, you know, each right. song in between, like, you know, play Valentine, new song, Red Letter Day. And like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then people would be like, hey, that song wasn't so bad. <laughs> uh, the song that you picked off this record is Overdue. You're a few years I spent them waiting here for you Now your charities refused I can't name a penance for abuse I 
spent them waiting here for you. This right here, when you sent the email, because it wasn't your original pick. Uh, the original pick that you had off this record was Hannah Hold On, but which is another great song. Um, but when you sent kind of your updated picks and you had changed it to Overdue, this is probably i would say my my favorite get up kids song from from the moment i heard it you know just like the combination of obviously it's a more softer side of of the get up kids acoustic guitar driven just you singing but then like the guitar line that comes in that i don't know is it is it the exact same as the melody line you're singing or just kind of closely mimicking it like it's, it's not and, and just the way the whole song kind of fits together, the video is great as well, which I went back and watched that today for the first time in a long time. But um, what is it about this song that kind of, I guess, stands out to you? Why did you end up picking this one in the end? Um, so both Overdue and Hannah uh, were songs that I wrote to be New Amsterdam songs. Okay. And, you know, I, I get asked or I used to get asked a lot about, like, how do you choose which songs go to which project? And it usually seems relatively obvious which ones should go where. And with this, these two songs, I was kind of like, I really, really like these songs. I want more people to hear them. And Get Up Kids has a, you know, a bigger reach. Mm-hmm. And so I brought them, I brought those two to the band and they liked Hannah and they thought Overdue was okay. And then we were going to do this like fan club thing. And so we recorded Overdue and a David Bowie cover to do on a fan club seven inch. And the demo of Overdue turned out so good that we were just like, well, shit, maybe this should be (laughs) on the record. And then Scott, the producer, was in love with it. And so by the time we were done with it in Connecticut at the studio, we were just like, this is the first song of the record. Like, this is our favorite song. Yeah. And even talking to Vagrant, where they're just like, you sure? And we're like, yep, this is the first single. And they're like, you sure? And we're like, <laughs> and we're like, yeah, this is our favorite song on the record. Therefore, it should be the first single. Like, duh. And, you know, and, and it yeah. was, uh, and the video is really great. Uh, one of my favorite parts of that video is that I'm not in it. <laughs> yeah, and, fair enough. Because I hate making music videos. Yeah. Uh, but the song itself, it, it's a song about my dad uh my relationship with my dad and it's interesting because it's written from a very um it's written from the place of from the perspective of a a son who feels like their their father is distant from them and then six months after i wrote this song i had a daughter Mm -hmm. and i immediately better understood my parents (laughs) you know like i just I immediately was just like, like it just changed everything. And I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't dislike my parents, but what, you know, it was just sort of like, I think that song is harsher than it probably would have been if it had been right. written after my daughter was born. But, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's kind of great in its simplicity. You know what I mean? Like it's a very like mellow, simple song with kind of a, kind of a hokey rhyme scheme. Um, but it, and it's it's just it's dark, you know. Yeah, it's dark, but it's not necessarily sad. And I don't know. I just I just really really like it, and I, I really really like Hannah too, um, which is what I originally picked. Yeah. But uh, uh, I didn't really want to get into that song. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You don't you you don't have to. Um, yeah, overdue. Like it. I, I had it on. I think I want to say maybe the first time I heard it, 
was on a Vagrant Records DVD. Mm. I think the video was on. I'm trying to think though if that if that came out before before On a Wire came out or not because I feel like I bought On a Wire pretty close to when it came out. I think out, On a so. Wire came out before that. Yeah, so maybe I had it and that was just the first time I'd seen the video, but I remember just like playing that video over and over again. And part of that I think was like the, like I mentioned the video is great. It's the uh, the animation style. I love it. It um So it, that's that's uh Travis, the guy who did the artwork and did the artwork for okay. Home about. Yeah, which is which is awesome because like the the artwork on on a wire and that video obviously ties it all together with like the van and stuff like that, but uh where was I going with this? Oh, I just like, I played it on repeat though. So many times, like when you start singing and then the, the guitar, the lead guitar riff comes in, I'm just like, there's something that is so simple, but absolutely the right choice. If that makes sense. Like it just feels yep. like no one wrote that song, just that that song, those parts were given to you almost right. Like they just mm, go, no, nope, I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but like it sounds like it came like just so easy. And maybe I mean it, it may have but... it may have been divine intervention, but I definitely wrote it. And I yeah. I do remember it being one of those songs that just kind of comes out of you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like sometimes you write a song and it's just like you write it in in like twenty minutes. Yeah. And if I remember I right, that was and I wrote it on the I wrote it on piano actually. It was just like ding ding ding. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it honestly feels like you brought a song on acoustic guitar and said, Hey guys, check this out, started playing it. And then the whole band just like played their parts. And like five minutes later, you're like, that was it. <laughs> you know, like it just works together well, so well. It, I'm glad it feels that way. It was more like I brought a song <laughs> to the band and they were like, eh, eh maybe not this one. Yeah. And like, let's put it on a fan club. Seven yeah. <laughs> we never yeah. I'm so pumped in the end that you know what it made it on that record and i love the i love the fact that well, it that's went how from... that's how sometimes songs sometimes songs end up that way like the first song mm-hmm. on our most recent record satellite was kind of like a i don't know man like you know right. it was just sort of like right. and then once we once we laid it down we're just like all right that's the first song on the record now you know which is yeah. a place of honor yeah well i just love the fact that it goes exactly in a similar story there i guess where it's just like yeah hey i don't know to Oh, I kind of like this song too. Mm-hmm. Wait, we really like this song. Not only do we want it to open the record, but we also want it to be the lead single. That's uh Sometimes you just end up like adding that one little element to the painting and it's just kind of like, "Oh, I love this now." Yeah. Like this was, yeah. you know, yeah. fine. It wasn't bad, but it, it it gets me it gets it, you know, I put these songs in a playlist to kind of go through them when I wasn't just listening to the records. And uh, every time this song would come on, for sure more than i think any other song on on the of the five songs i went okay i just want to keep going with the actual record now and probably because it's the opener it just automatically feels like you should keep going but um let's move on to one of those other records unless you had something you wanted to add about that song i'm good all right so let's move on to guilt show then which came out in march of 2004 so a couple years after um is it fair to say that this album Cause this album feels more to me personally listening to it, like it would have been a fitting transition from something to write home about to, uh, on a wire. Like if you put this record in between those two records on a wire makes maybe a little more sense because, because I think, I don't, I don't know if, if, if it's fair to say this, but I think you guys had kind of discovered that side of your band and explored it a little bit. And now when you move to guilt show, you find a way to kind of connect those two parts of your band a little more yeah i mean it's kind of to put it 
like over broadly, like it was kind of like we were listening to less punk and more rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And we kind of went with wire. We took two, we went too far out there. You know what I mean? Like we went too far to the other direction. Whereas guild show is a guild show is a rock and roll record. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it, yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, but I think that's in a response to on a wire getting the kind of tepid response that it got uh, from our fan base is like to kind of like be like, okay, well let's find a way to still be loud, but not be again, octave chords and halftime all the time. And like, right. not yeah. be, not be formulaic about it. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like with guilt show, it was a record. I don't know what happened for me because I was a big fan of on a wire but I don't even remember Guilt Show coming out. Like I've listened to it quite a bit in you know later years, but when it came out in 2004, like when I looked that up, I was like, whoa, I thought maybe for a reason it had come out several years later. And then, you know, just by the time it came out, you know, I'd moved on to other worlds of music or what have you. Right. But you know, well, it was only a couple of years after. And uh, it's a great, like, I just love the, the idea that, you know, on a wire starts we were just talking about it with overdue right mm-hmm. which is this mellow song that like kind of pulls you into the record and then guilt show starts with man of conviction which is just like in your face uh maybe the most i want to say probably yeah the most energetic song you guys had released since something to write home about so there is for in, in my to my ear it was very much like a hey guys we're still here we're still that band in a way uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm trying to remember. There's like a, it's also got this sort of like, uh, like we had bought our own studio and like it, Man of Conviction starts with like a door opening. Yeah. And it's kind of like a reintroduction to the band in a way. It's kind of like, and that's kind of high minded, <laughs> you know, but right, it's just right. sort of like, it was kind of like, all right, let's, uh, you know, yeah, I, th- I think that was intentional. I mean, the song itself just existed on its own. Yeah. I I mean, I wrote it on acoustic guitar, so I don't know how fast it was when I originally wrote it, but it was kind of like, let's just make this song a fucking punk song, you know? Right. And then, and fuck me if it is not hard to sing live, because it is really <laughs> fast and there's a lot of words. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love, that's not the song you picked off the record, but real quick, I've always loved like the parts where it kind of feels like it falls apart a little bit. Yeah. And I like you guys that. come back together. Another thing that's tricky about that live is because then you're at the mercy of Ryan. Like, right. it's like it all collapses <laughs> down and then you're like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for yeah. it. And depending on, he could stop and take a, get a beer, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's great. So the song you did pick off this record uh, is The Dark Night of the Soul. Can't 
stood out to me in listening to this song is how you guys kind of play with the timing a little bit at least in the intro where it feels like it's going it's got a hiccup to it like it's like yeah yeah like the 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 very last chord each time through or whatever you just play for a two count yeah that was that was ed's idea the guy who produced the record because like i wrote it on the piano you can hear my piano demo is the beginning of the song right and i wrote on piano and it was it didn't have that hiccup in it and um and Ed was like, what if you did this? And I just like, it took me a while to like kind of wrap my brain around it. And then there's also this thing of like these. Uh, so I guess it would be a low uh, third. So if you're playing guitar and you're playing like a power chord, yeah. then, you, then you move your index finger up to the lower string above it and play yeah. that at the same time. So it's kind of metal sounding. It's kind of like grungy sounding. That right. song has a lot of that uh, in it, and it's like a lot of palm muting. Um, but yeah, that that hiccup kind of makes it a little bit more unique. And it's it's interesting too because I don't think you do it every time. Like once you start singing, I, it, I feel I like it alternates. I think it's a yeah thing. Yeah, it's it's really neat. But what is it about this song? Unless it's that 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 makes it stand out to you. Um. Well, I really like it's it's a very like it's a song about uh uh addiction basically. Mm. Um <clears throat> so my my stepdad who's no longer with us was in AA for 40 years, something like that. 
And he used to say this thing where he was like, you know, sober actually stands for son of a bitch. Everything's real. <laughs> and so that's why that's the line in the song is that suddenly everything's real. And, uh, you know, it's just this sort of like kind of talking about, like, you know, there's also in my mind, it's really clear. It's like the bastards play on these insecurities and, um, redemption is a bitch to end on and, and all, all this kind of stuff. And it was just sort of about, uh, I mean, I I've been around recover, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a sober person myself, but I've been around that. I grew up in that world. Mm-hmm. Both my parents were in recovery, but, and so I was just kind of using that language in that, um, experience because it's like the dark night of the soul is sort of like when you hit rock bottom, and then you have this, you know, I think it's a, a biblical term, actually, which is like, I have a lot of biblical terms on this record, which is kind of sure. weird <clears throat> for me. Um, Should you call it Catholic guilt show? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. Uh, uh. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of this, the, you know, the, the, the time when you you have to de- make a decision if you're either going to change or you're going to die. Right. And then, <clears throat> so that's what the dark night of the soul is. And then I, I love that I got to do a full on, you know, black Francis, like pixie scream. Yeah. And, which was like, it's like, all right, we're gonna do the scream now. And I'm like, all right, everybody back up. And I like got like six feet off of the mic and I just screamed so loud. And I just loved it. It made me feel so good. Made you, made you want to start a screamo band or what? No. <laughs> the next kind of kids record. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fuck that. Uh, My voice hurts bad enough as it is just singing. That's fair. Yeah, I I can't I can't under there was there was a time where I thought, oh, I can do this screaming thing and that lasted for a short period of time. I went, no, thank you. No, I don't uh, I don't know how people do that. No. No. Um Yeah, this song, I mean, it's it's not one that I was overly familiar with because as I mentioned, Guilt Show is is a record that uh, I didn't listen to a ton until more recently. And even then this song comes fairly late in the record. So, well, we front loaded it because it was like this thing of, uh, we were having this conversation with Vagrant and it was just, and it was, we were thinking about it too, of just like, all right, if we can even convince people to try and listen to our new stuff <laughs> after the whole on a wire debacle, yeah, like let's put the poppy shit at the front. And then we've got all these like kind of weird, dark songs. I'm like, okay, well let's just put them in the end. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like it's almost like two records. Because yeah, it goes, yeah. it goes like Dark Night of the Soul into Is There a Way Out into Conversation, and Conversation has this wild like free jazz keyboard solo in it that you know is kind of out there, but you know, you know, it starts with Man of Conviction and ends with Conversation, so it go on a bit of a ride. Right. I should have asked when we were talking about On a Wire. Like when you look at that album now, do you look at it like, or I shouldn't say you? Do you do you find that fans? react to it differently now that it's sat for you know what 20 years or close to it that they've had it yeah everyone's like oh it's my favorite record and i'm like where were you in 2002 <laughs> yeah it's I, mean, our, I was our, i was waving the on a wire flag in 2002 but it's our paul's boutique that's what i just who someone just called uh, there was another record that someone oh it's tom DeLong referred to uh blink 182's neighborhoods as their paul's boutique mm. i was like and then, of course, people on Twitter were giving them shit for that. But uh, it's funny that you make that comparison because that one just happened recently. But um, uh, 
Yeah, no, the Dark Knight of the Soul. Um, now that I've, it's it was the one in the list that I looked I think forward to the most going back to it each time because it does offer something. You know, obviously the on a wire stuff I was familiar with and and something to write home about. This one kind of offers something a little different, a little new for my ear. And um, yeah, it's a well up until up until the last record that was my favorite Get Up Kids record. My favorite Get Up Kids record is currently Problems, but um, the that that was the one that was like I was like I'm I'm proud. And then when the band broke up after that record came out, I was just like, that's fine because this record (laughs) this record's great. Ended on a good note, I guess. Yeah. Um, speaking of other records that came after, though, let's talk about There Are Rules, which came out in January of 2011. And I guess it marks your first return mm-hmm. uh, because that's, a, what, a seven-year gap or so between between records? Well, we broke, um, up, we broke up for three. And then we played the reunion circuit for a little bit mm-hmm. and then decided to make new music. So I think... <laughs> The first, my first few times through this record, I felt like there was again quite a shift in sound. But as I listened to it, and maybe this is just a thing with you guys have the ability to write songs that are un, like undoubtedly get up kids songs, but then you can you can change certain elements of them and they sound so different. Uh, what was kind of influencing, I guess, the band sound at this time? as far as, you know, some of the choices that were made, maybe it's just production wise, maybe it's songwriting wise, but was there something that had changed for you that in that world? Well, I, it wasn't, it wasn't really spoken other than, uh, it, there, there was occasionally in the studio, we'd just be like, I don't know, fuck it, make it weird, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but I, I think that we were all kind of feeling this sort of like, we had gotten the band back together and then there was this whole kind of like, <clears throat> emo revival thing that was kind of going on and we were just sort of like eh you know let's let's try and do something a little like something that excites us a little bit more than that and so it kind of was like one step further from the uh no off no octave chords in halftime it was like like no real sense (laughs) you know at all (laughs) like there's no the lyrics are kind of nonsensical i mean they're about stuff but there's no like love songs. There's no like real like anthemy songs on it, and that's just from my, you know, uh, perspective as the as the lyricist and singer. Um, I I didn't write like none of us wrote like complete songs for it. We all just got together and jammed stuff until you know the song was kind of like written, and then I would take the instrumental demo and write lyrics to it. And I was trying to write things that were more like obtuse and and kind of weird and you know sometimes angry um actually there's two songs so the song that i picked is called tommy gentle which is on the simple science ep but is now part of the their rules deluxe uh record that just came out on polyvinyl yeah. And there's, so there's two songs. There's one called Tommy Gentle and there's one called Walk em With Grace that are actually personal songs, but they're about, they're the only, no, hang on. <laughs> How We're Bound is personal. But like the, for the most part, the, the whole There Are Rules thing is sort of just like, it's out, it's an out-of-body experience, like lyrically. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. sort of like writing about, <clears throat> I mean, there's a song about fucking Sarah Palin. You know, like, it's just, 
There's a song about nothing. Like there's a song called <laughs> Uh, what's the name of that song? Um, Parallelant. Yeah. It just doesn't make it. It's not about anything. It's just like it's just like words, you know. <laughs> now I'm gonna have to take a closer look at some of these songs. Here you just say they're just just random. No, some of them are like some of them are really intentional. Like Tithe, yeah. the first song is about. You, well, I don't want to get into that. And then like Shatter Your Lung is about this kid who fell off my roof and punctured his lung. Uh, you know, there, there's there's stuff that's a, that's that's poignant, but it's just like, there's also like songs about Marie Laveau and there's songs about, you know, uh, just nonsense. So, so you mentioned the song that you picked is Tommy gentle. As I was listening to this record, so yeah, you you said it's on. It's not originally on. There are rules, but it was on the was it Simple Science EP and then on the Deluxe Edition. So I, I was unaware of that listening to this record the first time through or whatever, and I felt like, man, this There Are Rules feels very different. There was someone I I, I don't know if it was on YouTube or where it was. They commented something like There Are Rules is the Get Up Kids making a strokes album or something along those lines. And I was like, you clearly didn't listen past. There's like, I think it was like track two. Maybe there's something. Yeah. Like, there's a song called uh, Regents court that I think you could say is kind of strokesy, but I, I would argue yeah. it's more Tom Petty, but look, whatever. Sure. sure. And then, so <clears> I was like, well, you clearly didn't get past that because the record itself 
does not sound like that at all. But it also oh, that's the only song that does. And it's it, it also though as a as a whole sounds different from any other Get Up Kids record. Mm-hmm. But when you get to Tommy Gentle, especially like when when I was listening, I was like, man, this song actually sounds the most. I suppose traditional standard get up kids out of the collection. Uh, was that, is that something that just happened? Like I, I didn't go and actually listen to the three songs from the simple science EP Are all three of them on. Uh-huh. The, so yeah. like, I'd have to go and like listen specifically to see if they all kind of fall more into that, like a little more s- straight up. Yeah, I, I think, I think the, so we wrote, it's like we wrote the first, we did it in two batches and we wrote the first batch and took four of those songs to make simple science. And then the second batch, we took the rest of the songs and then one song from simple science and put it on their rules called mm-hmm. Keith case. And um, I would say simple science is a little poppier and mm-hmm. a little bit more um, peppy and less dark uh, though. Tommy gentle itself musically is very uh, like, it's very kind of super chunky sort of like yeah. indie pop. But the the reason I like the song so much is because uh, the lyrics are really really meaningful to me because it's um, it's basically about uh, being a performer and you know how do I explain this being in this situation where you're like really unhappy you know you're like say like. I remember really specifically like playing a show, like a, a solo show in a place that like get up kids had sold out and there was like n- nobody there to see me play. And I was just kind of like, what am I doing with my life? And, but then you have to remember that there are people who are there who are just stoked to see you, mm-hmm. even if you're having a, like a bad day <clears throat> And you're feeling sorry for yourself. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of about that. It's just kind of like questioning, like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's really obtuse, but it's, it's just, it's me. It's really meaningful to me. And it's the thing that I play. So the band doesn't really play it very often or haven't in a while, but like if I'm playing a solo show and it just sucks and like people are talking or, you know, no one's paying attention i'll play that song as kind of a fuck you to the crowd you know because it's my uh it's it's my like uh i don't know existential yeah (laughs) former anthem i like that that's that's awesome was there something like when getting together to make this record was there kind of or maybe this, I don't know if this comes along at some point, but was there a realization that you were like, Hey, we can just, we can really, we're good to do what we want uh, versus going, worrying about following up a record. Um, well, you know, I mean, like- that's kind of the, kind of the one real benefit of doing on a wire is that we definitely established that we're going to do whatever the fuck we want, whenever the fuck we want to do it. Yeah. And um, for better, or for worse, you know, like there's definitely more successful people than us that have like, I mean, look at fucking Jimmy Eat World. They didn't make a, any weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they stuck to the program and they're huge. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we, we've definitely like established our, like at the end of the day, the only, we have nothing if not our integrity and our integrity means we have to do whatever we want. And it also means that we have to like it. And if we didn't do whatever we wanted, then we wouldn't like it. And you'd be able to tell because we're not good at selling things insincerely. 
Mm. We've tried it and it doesn't work. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so the you you mentioned this album just a few minutes ago, but let's move on to Problems. Okay. Came out in May of 2019 on Polyvinyl Records. And obviously I'm not alone in thinking this because you just said it, but this is, I would, I would agree. Currently this is my favorite Get Up Kids record. I was... I will fully admit that I was skeptical when it was coming out. I was like, yeah, it'll probably be fine, but you know, that's it's, it'll be good. But what it is honestly is great. Like, I don't know. I, I can't say from the very first listen, I was like a hundred percent sold, like right out the door. Like, Oh, this is immediately my favorite get up kids record. But as time has gone on, it has consistently been the one that these days, if I'm going to listen to the get up kids that I keep going back to. And, uh, in fact, we, like we do a, every year we pick like a top 10 albums or whatever on the podcast in 2019, this was my, my number one record, hmm. um, which that was a great year too. Cause I think that was like casket lottery came out. They had their record come out that year. Uh, unless that was last year. No, that was, was last there's year. came out last year. And that record is so fucking good. We just, oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> we just shows with them and they were just like, God damn, this band is good. Yeah. I think Jimmy world, you mentioned them. They had surviving, I think. Mm. That was 2019, I think. Anyways, it was it was a pretty good year for like those bands that have been around for a bit to put out uh, really good records. Um, but so, what keeps what keeps that machine going? <laughs> like, how is it? You know, I mean that's that's not a fair question. How is it that you're this far in your career and putting out such great records? That's not a fair question. But what is it that I guess kind of keeps you guys motivated and going and writing such such great stuff? You know. 20 plus years down the road uh i mean motivationally you're talking about like you know besides the fact if you want to be completely crass about it that this is our career and this is what we do for a living and the the whole industry is predicated on having album cycles Mm -hmm. and but that's not enough to get us out of bed we know that we can like you know uh place if we wanted to just go play something at home about front to back every night we'd probably do better than (laughs) you know they got a new record uh but like honestly it's it's a matter of like for me anyway like my favorite part of this whole job is the moment when you write something and it's gets stuck in i get stuck in my head and i know that no one no one knows it and no one's gonna hear it for a year you know, because we're going to have to demo it and then we're going to have to record it and then we're going to have to wait to put it out and then we're going to have to like go on tour. And, but I know it's like, in my mind, I'm just like, Oh, I love this song. It's totally fucking stuck in my head. And no, and it's like my little secret or our little secret between the five of us and, and my wife, cause I'll always play it for her. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it was just sort of like it felt like the right time to do it and we were all getting along and we were all on the same page which is sometimes a bit of a planets aligning kind of thing and you know we got together and did and we were just like what if we did it with peter who's the guy who engineered on a wire but didn't produce it Mm -hmm. um it was like yeah let's let's just make it happen and then there, there was a bit of a I mean, it wasn't a hard and fast rule, but it was kind of for me of just going like, all right, let's take all of this shit that we've done in the last 20 years and like, let's try and make the record that the guys who made something to write home about would make with 20 plus years more life experience. 
and so it's like let's make a let's make a record that's not you know something at home about part two but that's maybe like the spiritual successor to it but that is about you know where you know lyrically is about where we are now and who we are now and 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 the things that are important to us as opposed to you know what was <laughs> what's important to me at 41 that wasn't important to me at 21 you know right yeah um it's funny that you're i was just sitting there thinking about how when i when i got this record on vinyl uh my my mother-in-law had like reached out asking i was like oh is there you know a record you want for i think it was for my birthday or whatever she was going to send me and so i had like she's like just send me a few a few recommendations and so at the time on the list i'd put because you both had released new albums uh, jimmy world surviving the get up kids problems and she's like surviving problems hey sounds like a life motto <laughs> i was like yeah those two album titles back to back that uh that sums up life pretty good just surviving problems um <laughs> but uh yeah no it, it's it's an absolute i i'm kind of amazed every time i think i put it on because what it does for me is makes me feel a little guilty that you know i kind of skipped out on guilt show and there are rules because in my mind for the longest time, I was like, Oh, those records are okay. And then I listened. And when problems came out, I was like, Holy shit, this record's really good. And then I go back and listen to guilt show and, and there are rules. I'm like, you've been doing it the whole time. Like there's somewhere along the way. I kind of went, no, I'm good with what I have. Yeah, rules, you know, with... rules is a banger. Don't, don't let it. Fall. Yeah. Like it, that's what I'm saying. Like putting it on and listening to it. I'm like, Oh, once I kind of like wrap my head around that, yeah, they're doing something a little bit different, but the songs are still, you know, incredible, excellent songs. And I think that goes back to what I was asking, you know, at the beginning of problems, like how, how do you keep the machine going? Like not as in, you know, it's like a machine where, uh, you know, you've got a formula and you're just pumping out stuff, but the quality of the songs over the years has remained at a high quality. And well, so, I mean, I think hopefully, you know, you get better at your craft the longer you do it. I think the problem is, is when you have most people, when they have success early on, they get up their own ass. And I think that we were in that place when we did on a wire and then the world just bitch slapped us, you know? And so mm -hmm. consequently we're, we're more like self-aware of ourselves and we're more like, and, and, and then also we just don't take the whole thing very seriously. Like we just, we just, we started this to have fun. You know, yeah. we were just friends in high school and if it's not fun, then it's not worth doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so let's talk about the song then that you picked off this, which is the advocate.
things that i love about this album as a whole and this song is i think a great example of it it's just there's kind of like a bit of a melancholy feel to your melodies that you're singing on this record i don't know if that was intentional or not but there's on this song in particular i think uh where you sing um the line arms around whoever you may be just the way i don't know what it is for me the way you wrote like that melody just kind of like it does something and then on the line i'll be an advocate please don't be the enemy like just the way you're singing lines throughout this whole record and this album or this song itself there's a certain it it, and i mean i guess music tries to do this in general but it evokes a certain emotion that i can't quite put a finger on if that makes sense okay (laughs) (laughs) it, it it brings up i I don't know. Obviously this is just a personal thing, but it brings up feelings when listening to it. And I'm just like, what is, what does this make me feel? Cause I don't have like a personal attachment to the songs, but you know, there's something that the way I guess that you're emoting the lyrics, I suppose it is that really just kind of jumps out for me anyway. And, and like I said, this song is just a, a particular, particularly strong example. I don't know if you were doing something specifically when writing the melodies or like when it comes to writing a song for you, how do you craft a melody? Are you just kind of singing what comes out or are you? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a word salad gibberish thing for a while until, until I kind of settle on something that like, I'll try a bunch of different things. Like, you know, in the, like we kind of, the song was totally different. And then like we took a break for lunch and we came back and then somehow we wrote that opening riff some somewhere. And then it was just like, Oh, that's what the song is. You know, like, and we kept calling it the quicksand riff for a long time because <laughs> it's very like chunky, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I don't, I like, I don't know where melodies come from other than that. Like, I think I write them enough that I'm pretty quick at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of like, I, I exercise that particular muscle a lot. Um, but the, the, I like the melody of the song, but for me, the really important thing in it that I really, really, really cling to is the lyrics in it. Um, can I talk about that? 
hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just wanted to point out the melody. Just so I just wanted to clarify real quick before we talk about the lyrics because I think the lyrics obviously tie into what I feel when listening to it. But so when you write a melody, though, you're not there. You're not like approaching it looking at music theory going like well if i'm playing no. this chord i should be singing this note okay so uh so it, it is just what's flowing out of you as you're sitting down with a guitar or at a piano sort mm-hmm. of thing yeah okay, so- i i know i know a few basics of music theory but i'm self-taught yeah like i i don't i don't periodically like dustin our, our current keyboard player like if i i'll say like what about this and this and he'll go like and he went to school for this shit so he's just like oh that's blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and i'm just like okay cool yeah. Um, let's let's talk about the lyrics though. Okay. So uh, this is a, a long kind of winded thing. So I grew up uh feeling like an outcast, right? I was bullied in school. I was different. I was the weird punk rock kid in a Catholic high school. Um and I I always felt very, very alone. And then as I got older, I really kind of realized that even though I felt like an outcast and I felt like a misfit, I still had a leg up on a lot of people because I'm a straight white cis man, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. If only I had been Christian, I would have had the whole fucking lottery. Right. (laughs) uh, And so my kids especially have, have, you know, I've learned a lot about like, um, like, I don't know, like uh, a lot of stuff about gender and a lot of stuff about, you know, uh, sexuality and, and, you know, those, those sort of issues. And I kind of had this realization that like, if you want to call yourself punk rock and you want to say that you're, you're part of a counterculture, then there is no reason why you shouldn't be accepting of all other people who feel different, whether Mm -hmm. you're like them or not. And then it's also tied in with this whole thing of like, I don't know if you have kids or not, but like, I don't understand how a parent can not like not love their kid just because they're, they're not what they want them to be, that they're different or that they're, you know, like, and so that's why the chorus is arms around whoever you may be. It's supposed to be like a, like a, a declaration to, to the people that I care about, primarily my kids of just like, I'll love you no matter who, who you are. I don't really give a shit, you know, like you, you want to, if you're gay, if you're trans, if you're asexual, if you're, you know, whatever, I don't, I really don't care. And I don't, I'm really, I really very harshly judge people who can't do that. And so the kind of opening line that you were talking about, or the uh, be the advocate to please don't be the enemy. Is it like, I have noticed, and I think it's a little better now, but when I first started kind of coming into this mindset that I would be talking to other liberal white guys in bands that were my age, and they kind of didn't understand a lot of these issues. And I was just like, okay, look, I don't, I know you don't understand it, but I'm telling you, this is how things are. Please don't like, don't turn into like an incel. (laughs) Like, please don't like, don't be you know don't be a dick about this like just listen to me and and like maybe i can be the maybe i can be the bridge like if you won't listen to you know a queer teenager of color because you're an older white guy maybe you'll listen to an older white guy who will tell you that like this is 
a positive thing that you should right. you should be an ally to. Um, and so that's what that song's about. But it's really written from the perspective of a parent. And so, so okay. So yes, I have kids. I have five kids. Shit, uh, man, you're crazy. <laughs> to be precise, five kids, ages. How old are they? Twelve, all the way down to six. We have so three. Our three youngest are six, seven, and eight. They all just turned to that. We adopted them hmm. uh, through the foster system, and then we have two biologicals who are ten and twelve. And so you, in, in you saying that, it dawned on me that what hits so hard about the song and the way you sing it is that you know, like there's there's a certain weight, I think, to the way you're singing. The, the specific lines that I, I picked out might've just been like lines that jumped because that's where you're doing a, you know, that a specific thing with the melody or what have you. But I feel like there's a weight to it going like kids life isn't easy. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? No, like you're absolutely, gonna face... absolutely. Like we, we live in this, like my kids grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, which is a very liberal bubble inside of a very red state. Mm-hmm. And you know, to a certain degree, they don't really know a lot about the outside world outside of, of this little, you know, you know, <laughs> socialist utopia, <laughs> you know, it just right. sort of like, yeah. um, and so, uh, you know, I, yeah, it, it, that is, that's very, that's very true. It is, it is kind of saying like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a warning and it's also, you know, a reiteration that like, I will be there for you no matter what. Yeah. So, yeah. And just, I think the responsibility or, I guess the heart behind that um, kind of comes through. Like I, so, so I, I grew up in the church. So this is something that like, I've, I've literally sat down with pastors of churches and had this conversation and being like, I just don't understand. So you want to talk about whether, you know, like this is going to go down a bit of a rabbit trail, I suppose. But so someone who claims to be, you know, you know, into punk rock and into the whole punk world and whatever, who has trouble accepting people just for who they are. I've always been like, I don't understand how a church can't just accept someone for who they are. Right. Like, so I've I've had, that's what fucking Jesus would have done. That's, that's what I'm saying. Right. And I've had these conversations sat down with pastors where I'm like, I just don't get it. Like, why is this such a thing that, you know, not everyone obviously that goes to church gets hung up on that, but there's a large, a large sect sect of people that do that are just like, Nope, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is not okay. List them off. And then that's their hill to die on. I'm like, that makes zero sense. Anyways, I didn't intend to go down that, that rabbit trail, but from the, from the perspective of being a parent. Yeah. Like when I sit here looking at these lyrics, I kind of go, I think that's kind of like the weight and not necessarily a weight in like, Oh, this is, like weighing heavy on my heart sort of thing or like carrying this burden or whatever. Those are, those are some, I guess like church phrases, but uh, just like there is a weight to being a parent and understanding that your children are going to be who they're going to be, you know, and being willing to accept that and saying like, Hey, whoever you are, I've got your back. Like the line, yeah, arms whoever, arms around whoever you may be, no matter who attacks, I'll always have your back. Yeah. I mean, that's that's very much when I wrote that line, I was just like, all right, well, this is like, when I was saying like, what would the guys who wrote something at home about write with 20 years more experience? Like, that's we're loyal like brothers, but from the the perspective of a parent and not the perspective of like, 
a bandmate. <laughs> you know, like it's right. a, yeah. <clears throat> no, that's amazing, man. Now I'm. Uh, I just want to go in and listen to this song. Like, there's uh, one there's thing a, I did. There's oh, another song on that. There's another song on that record that's called Common Ground that mm-hmm. uh, is about like seeing your life through your kids' perspective. Yeah. Um, and I, I wrote it. It be, like I, the lyrics I wrote for that were kind of written because like my daughter started a band and, and she's getting into like, and she'll be like do you know rights of spring? And I'm like, <laughs> like, yeah. And like, and so like they, but they're like, my, my current shit is her like vintage shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like my, and so it's just kind of an interesting perspective to like, to like, to like look <laughs> at that. Rights of spring. <laughs> Who's ever heard of jawbreaker? And I'm like, you know, once or twice did, <laughs> um, uh, at the same point, I love that you can write these songs, and then on the same album, you can have a song wondering if Lou Barlow saw you, like if you saw him on the street. It's not you, about you... Lou Barlow. He's just, <laughs> he's just in it. Uh, although we were, I was... we, were, we were at band practice, and James was like, do you remember that time we went to that, to that gas station? That guy was like, you guys like Lou Barlow? <laughs> and we're like, what? He's like, yeah, man, you like Lou Barlow? And I'm like, James, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> and then I went home that night and I just sat down and I went, I saw the and it just all kind of came out. That's amazing. And then a friend of mine was going through a, a divorce. And so it was just kind of like, all right, well, maybe this is a metaphor for like, that's how I know that this relationship isn't working because I love Lou Barlow's music and you don't. And so therefore we're not compatible. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to, yeah, of course. to chat tonight. This was a lot of fun. So I'm glad we could sort out a time and get this done. Absolutely, man. Well, stay warm. I'll try. I got I got my hat. I got my toque on. Your if toque. I can use a yeah, a toque if I can use a Canadian phrase. Even though I was I was discussing this the other day cuz like so I roll it up, right? I just wear it all day like a hat. And I was like, it's funny how you know, like fashion or whatever you want to call it has kind of like neutralized the purpose of some things, specifically hats. Like, so for instance, I'm wearing this and typically it would be to keep your head and your ears warm, but it doesn't cover my ears the way I wear it. Much like when I wear like a, a a baseball hat or whatever, a lot of times I'll wear it backwards. Well, the brim is to block, like to keep the sun off your face, but I'm like, nah, flip that around. Screw that. Well, you're, you're choosing fashion over function. I really am. I really am. But that's because some hats just look dumb forwards. I don't know why, but they do. It is the way it is. But <laughs> uh, before we go too far off off track here, this was uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Um, thank you for having me. <laughs>